seconds of the game. St George, Illawarra to the death, trying. Brown goes to the air. Going back is Mabel. Oh, sleeping high and taking it in marvellous fashion with Rod Wishart. He has scored an incredible try and ties this fourth game up. Bartram from 18 metres out. He strikes it nicely. St George Illawarra win for the first time in their Premiership line. Here's Nathan Blacklock down the sideline. The top of Joel Kane. Got a red surface bounce to win the game for the Dragons and book himself a New South Wales Blues origin jumper. Good evening, folks, and welcome to the latest edition of the Red V Podcast, your home of everything St. George Illawarra. Each and every Tuesday night, we delve into the latest stories, latest topics about the Dragons, and uh, we're going to continue to do that this evening as the news cycle surrounding the St. George Illawarra Dragons never seems to stop. Just when it looks like the uh, Dragons news and the Dragons might be going in hibernation for the off-season, when new bits of information come out, whether that be about Anthony Griffin, whether that be about the Dragons culture, or something else, and there's plenty to get through in our Dragons News and Update section, which we'll have shortly for you. We'll also listen to part two, or play part two, of our chat with Luke Felsch. Luke played first grade for the St. George Illawarra Dragons, was part of that 1996, uh, no, better say premiership squad, but side that made it through to the 1996 grand final. Also came back and played a season for uh, the merged entity of St. George Illawarra, in 2002, having had a few successful seasons over in the UK. Looking forward to playing part two for you on the podcast tonight. And also we'll answer your fans' corner questions. There's been a few thrown at us, a few prickly questions about the Dragons uh, that they want. Uh, the expert advice of uh, Curtis Woodward, who's alongside me, and uh, also me, Jack Clifton. Talking of Curtis Woodward, he's on the line and ready to talk everything St. George Elora once again. Curtis, been a, a frantic evening for both of us recording this podcast a, a little bit later than we, we normally do with, uh, with traffic and trains and different things uh, wreaking havoc. But uh, another jam-packed episode, mate, full of Dragon's goodness. Not all of it good, unfortunately. Yeah, recording as I speak at 7.41 Sydney time. So let's get stuck in. Uh, let's uh, jump into our Dragons news and updates. But before we do do that, uh, last week on the podcast, I was talking about Jaden Sullivan, talking about uh, Jaden Sullivan's release. And I, 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 um, I gave some information at the time I thought uh, was true information, uh, but it was a mistake by me. Um, and, and it was never my intention to be um, uh, spreading gossip or spreading lies or anything um, like that. I was uh, made aware of my error um, after I recorded the podcast uh, last week. So uh, apologies to anyone uh, offended by that. Our podcast is all um, about the Dragons. It's never about gossip. We never try and turn gossip into truth um, or the other way around. Um, all we're, we're trying to do is is promote the club, um, talk about the Dragons, talk about our love for the Dragons. And unfortunately, sometimes our, our passion for me um, gets uh, gets a little bit better. It uh, gets the better of me um, sometimes. So my apologies uh, for that. But let's, uh, without that, uh, any further ado, let's jump into your Dragons news and updates for this week. First off, some signing news for the St. George Illawarra Dragons. Yesterday, it was big news on social media and also on the Dragons website with the signing of former West Tigers and South Sydney prop Zane Musgrove. He's been released from the last two years of his deal with the Tigers and taking up an opportunity with uh, the St. George Illawarra Dragons. I guess for me, Kurt, initially when I saw the signing, I I didn't hate it. Um 
I know when you look at his stats, it, it, he's probably not a player that's going to have a huge impact in terms of turning that Dragons forward pack um, around. He's um, averaging 24 tackles a game, averaging 10 hit-ups and 89 metres uh, per game. I guess hard to shine in that West Tigers system. But I guess probably what's more concerning for me and more concerning for a lot of fans of the club is the fact, I guess, the off-field stuff for, for Zane Musgrove. I think there's been two assault charges that have been brought, brought uh, against him in the past. Um, there's been a few other kind of in discretions off the field. The Dragons, as we'll talk about in length uh, a little bit later on in this Dragons news and update section, seemingly have a culture problem. Ryan Webb said in his uh, email to members that they didn't have a culture problem. Craig Young came out this week speaking to Buzz Rothford of the Daily Telegraph and said they did. Uh, whether they do or they don't, it, it just feels like Zane Musgrove is, is a signing that I don't think help, helps culture and doesn't look like a player that is, is going to be someone that's really going to put the Dragons on his back and, and lay a platform in that middle third of the field. As a, as a neutral fan, and I guess as a Tigers fan, having seen Zane Musgrove over the last year or so, what do you make of this signing by the Dragons? Yeah, it's an interesting one because I guess players are human. Um, so, and, and look, there, there is different extremes to off-field behaviour. I believe one of them was at the front of uh, Coogee Pavilion or mm. Coogee Bay Hotel. Um, very, very late at night, some some um, some people from the public were involved. But apparently, within the West Tigers system, he's loved by the players. So, I, I, I don't mind getting him for the Dragons, getting him on the cheap. And it seems that right now he's got his head down and, and um, really concentrating on his football. So who's to say that, you know, um, that they'll get the value out of him mm. that they want. Uh, but to me, and look, I've got to say this too, and I'm not one to usually Google myself, but I, I did find some comments in the Red B podcast League Unlimited forum, you know, kind of saying, you know, does Curtis really know about George Burgess and, and how poor he was during the season and, you know, ended up on the bench at the end of the season, and, I, and I've been spruiking George Burgess mm. simply out of the fact that he's contra- he was contracted for next year and it couldn't be any worse than this year and a fit 30, 31-year-old George Burgess could add amazing value to the Dragons' front row rotation next year. Now, the thing for me is now looking at it, and, and I understand, yes, uh, Burgess, obviously, I think first he was injured or, mm. uh, or he got suspended um, for small field stuff, went to rehab. It was interesting to see George Burgess' comments in, in the media. I, I I might leave that to you, Jack, mm. um, if you are going to get to it, because he's directly quoted in News Corp talking about the fact that um, he felt like he needed to get out of there because Anthony Griffin was um, not supporting him uh, and wasn't backing him, and he was happy to just get out of that environment. But on the same day, like, and this is to me, like if I was part of the coaching staff for the Dragons and, and Dragons fans, I can see it. I hear it from you. Really worried about the front rowers for next year. And to me, the body, sh- the, the, the size of the, the front rowers for me, for the Dragons are a worry. If, Dra- if Burgess was contracted for next year, why wait till the end of the season to, to go to George and say, if you're not happy, you can go. There, there were opportunities there for the Dragons um, to be a little bit more positive with him during the year, perhaps. Mm going off George Burgess' comments that I that are directly from News Corp. So it's frustrating for me as a neutral to see that we're talking about front row rotation and getting some big boys in that in that middle third. On the same day they announced Zane Musgrove, in the very same media statement, they, they announced that George Burgess is gone. Yeah. So they're back to square one. So in my opinion, Musgrove's a good catch if you keep Burgess. Now you're back to square one and you've still got a, a, another big body you've got to fill in that squad. 
because George Burgess is gone. So I found Burgess' uh, comments in the media very interesting. But to, to go back to your original point, um, if Musgrove keeps his nose clean off the field, then then he'll be okay for the Dragons. Um, but it's just, yeah, it's an interesting one that it, it looks to me that they waited to release Burgess when they were guaranteed Musgrove. Mm. But it looks like this is a this is like a all season thing where Burgess has gone back and and kind of saying, well, I, you know, I I, I I stuffed up, but where was my support from my coach, kind of thing. So, yeah, very murky waters as usual, but um, that's where we are. Yeah, well, let, let's talk about the the George Burgess uh, situation. The the Daily Telegraph were reporting on his release, and gee, didn't take any time for him to to kind of be out of the club before he. He kind of had what he he had to say. Um, talking to the Daily Telegraph, he, he opened up with brutal honesty about the breakdown of his relationship with Dragons coach Anthony Griffin, revealing, I just didn't get along with Hook and he pretty much uh, wrote me off. Um, he went on to say he couldn't face another preseason um, at the club, at the Dragons, said it's disappointing if this is the end of my career, but I just didn't get along with Hook and he made it pretty clear to me he pretty much wrote me off. So I wasn't too keen to go back to train under him, to be honest. At the end of the day, all you want is a coach to believe in you. Um, he said Burgess wanted to make it clear he was not bagging the club, but just being honest about his own personal situation. Um, he said, as uh, as a club, I got on well with everyone. Ryan Webb, the CEO, was great, as was the welfare manager, Scotty Stewart, and the football manager, Benny Harron. So at no stage is he is he trying to make excuses for what's happened and and, and I guess maybe that, that lack of form and not being completely up to fitness. And I know George himself had some, some off-field struggles with going into rehab and a road raid incident where he um, allegedly smashed someone's uh, someone's phone that was was trying to uh, take videos and and take pictures of him. But it is is alarming. And, and Jack Gazevsky was an, is another one that another report coming out from the Daily Telegraph um, stating that uh, yeah Jack Gazevsky kind of felt like he was um, basically um, put into the uh, into the the off pile by Anthony Griffin after having to deal with some personal issues with him and his his partner with um, with one of their newborn children. Um, some complications. Wow, from, I, I haven't read that yet. Yeah, there were some complications. Uh, basically, from a uh, um, Jack uh, was speaking about it to the Daily Telegraph, there were some complications with with the home birth um, of his of his partner, and um, Jack was obviously involved there. That's where his um, his energy was. He didn't sleep for a couple of days, and he, he said he thought he did the right thing in, in terms of of stepping back from the side and stepping down. And then from there on in, um, Anthony Griffin uh, didn't pick him again in first grade. He said he couldn't understand why that was the case. Um, he said he he, he went. A a couple of times to 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 Griffin and asked what he needs to do. Um, is he happy with his form? And all he got back from Anthony Griffin was, "You're you're playing you're playing some good football. Just keep keep doing the same thing." Basically, um, obviously paraphrasing uh, what the Daily Telegraph have reported. So um, it's it's uh, yeah, it, it's concerning that it's it's not just one player now, Kurt. We've seen. We'll talk about Tyrell Sloan because he's rescinded his release request, but he's put in a, um, a release. Uh, Jaden Sullivan has put in now a second release that happened last week as we reported on the on the Red V podcast um, after Ben Hunt signs that new deal. We now see a couple of players leaving um, and on their way out uh, having something to say, and that doesn't include, I guess, all the mess with James Graham when, when he was kind of shown the door, not saying that's on Anthony Griffin, but... If you want to talk about culture, all, all the arrows kind of seem to point that uh, if there's not a culture problem, that there certainly seems to be some significant and sizable issues at the Dragons, uh, at least mm. with the way that the head coach is involved. Oh, look, and, and to me, it's interesting. And I've been saying this for weeks, just as a neutral, trying to get my head around these kids. 
and we were starting to see these the, some some interesting words being used by players and ex-players now. I've been saying for for weeks that maybe these kids they're not ready for first grade, but maybe the communication through the year hasn't been there. Mm. Um, so an interesting word from Burgess was was belief. Um, I just want a coach to believe in me. Um, I, I don't know if you've got the quotes from News Corp writer Eamon Bertaf on, on SEN um, who spoke to um, Tyrrell directly in, in the last couple of days. Um, he, he And direct quotes, he felt unwanted at the Dragons and he wanted to release. And then he actually quotes, um, and this is third person, this is the journalist to SEN about the conversation he had with, with Sloan saying that, Sloan was scared to even go to the Dragons to talk about his contract because he felt like they were just going to say, we'll see you later because we don't want you. Mm. I mean... That's concerning when a a young player feels like that, Kurt. Yeah, and I mean, again, I I was saying about Sullivan as well. It just feels like there's a communication breakdown. So um, I've got these quotes here from from SEN, but I'll I'll leave that for a little bit later because I'm sure we'll talk about Sloan in a bit more detail. But uh, it is interesting that you've got a a 30-year-old international prop that's won premierships at a, and I hate to say it, a bigger club right now, South City oh, Club than no, Dragons. No doubt about it. And he's sitting there and saying, there's no point going back to preseason because my coach doesn't believe in you, believe in me, um, and he wasn't keen to go back to training. So uh, where there's smoke, there is fire, and it does sound like it's a it's a flogathon, um, you know, and the you know the Dragons are a dead horse and we're just whipping it, but. To me, this is this is okay. So this, the the dragon situation in the media is very different to Manly, where I thought the Manly one um, to get Des Hasler sacked was very media driven. Mm-hmm. Where um, my my um, when I say closest brother, um, and I, I mean by 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 age, Dean, he's a Manly fan. A couple of my best mates are Manly fans, and they're just shrugging their shoulders, saying, "No, I can't believe this is gone for for Seabold or Flanagan." And, and, and the players are shrugging their shoulders, saying, where has this come from? And it was just daily, just a barrage from the media where this, I think, this is a little bit more player-driven. We're seeing more direct quotes from players. So, um, you know, I, I, I hate to come on here and, and, and you know, and, and I'm sure there's there's club officials out there from, you know, the, the water boys to the, the physios who and, and who have vested interest in the club all the way to the top, I'm sure, at different times. They they might sit there and go, oh well, you know, there's half rights and half wrongs in all of this. But the the problem is that the half rights, there's there's something to all of it, and mm. it's coming from players. Yeah. So now we're hearing that Sullivan, the the second request is now in writing. So it's getting that's getting a little bit more serious too. So mm. yeah, where there's smoke and fire, and, and and unfortunately at the moment this is um Dante's inferno. And it doesn't stop with um, with current players or players that have just recently left the, the, the Dragons. I, I guess probably came out, I wouldn't say came out of nowhere, but it was certainly a bit of a, a surprise yesterday when when Dragons legend Matt Cooper, a, a famous name in in the Dragons, arguably one of the, the best defensive centres of his generation, if not one of the best defensive centres in the game um, at, um, when, when he was playing. Matt Cooper, over 200 games for the Red V, won a premiership in 2010, scored over 100 tries, a New South Wales and Australian rep. Well, he, he eviscerated the, the Dragons um, on, online on Twitter last night. He said, I can't believe three players went to the Red V Awards night. 
Actually, I can. This club has no loyalty and honour anymore. And that all stopped when Wayne Bennett left. Now, it's one thing for players that don't have much allegiance to the Dragons. You could probably argue that George Burgess had some off-field things that happened and um, he wasn't someone that had bent the Dragons for five, six, seven years. Um, you could argue that for, for a couple of the players and uh, maybe even some of the younger players. But when you've got a guy like Matt Cooper that has reached out, he's offered to... Um, uh, go into coaching and help the Dragons' young players, help the outside backs for free. Uh, and the Dragons haven't wanted anything to do with that. That's their decision. That's fine. But for him to come out and, and kind of say those harsh words shows that it's not just the um, the current regime that that is is uh, not doing the right things. It's not just the, the current fan base of us that are hurting. It shows that four players like Matt Cooper can kind of see how badly this club has disintegrated over the last four, five, six, seven years years and it's got a fair bit of uh, a fair bit of media pull over the last 24 hours Kurt yeah, I, I would like to know without seeing the tweet what time of the night that was actually posted because firstly the, the first thing I, I hear from that is a legend of the club that's frustrated from the outside looking in mm. like a lot of us are but also to the to the point and in, in defense again um, of, of the club there were only eight available players apparently um, that were, you know, had the chance to go to the night. So it's, uh, uh, you know, people still saying this 27 out of 30 thing, That that's, let's forget that for a minute. So um, three out of eight, yeah, that's still wrong. It should have been eight from eight players that were that, that should have went. But for well, me... Uh, can, I, can, I stop, can I stop you there yeah, for a second, Kurt? Sure, because um, sure. in, that, in that Fox Sports article that I'm reading from, where it has Matt Cooper's comments, it, it also has... Um, and we're going to get to this anyway, but may as well go to it now, um, where, where we kind of had differing, we have differing kind of views, maybe or different, differing responses between Chairman Craig Young and CEO Ryan Webb, because Craig Young mm. has said in this story via the Daily Telegraph that um, he said, we had eight or nine players who had World Cup commitments and their absence was understandable. However, the other players should have been there. When I played, you couldn't wait to get there, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, so I don't know. Is that 20, 21 players that didn't go? Well, I don't no, I, I imagine or if – let's just 18? let's just say for argument's sake, if there's nine that are, have got commitments with the World Cup, let's say if there was another five or six that had already kind of put in their annual leave request and, and couldn't make it, that's 15 out of the 30. So you that's think – still a lot. You, you still think between 12 or 15 could make it, but sorry to interrupt you, Kurt. I hate doing that, no, but just no, wanted, no, to, wanted no, to let no, you know about no. that. But still, it goes to the point – I'm glad you clarified that, but it still goes to the point that 15 players didn't show up. And we mm. agreed – Last week and all that kind of stuff that it was just a you know it was just part of your season and you, you went to your awards night. But getting back to what I was saying, this looks like a legend of the club. That that's the first I've heard that he's offered his services um, as a kind of defensive or attacking um, coach for the for the backs. But that just sounds like a really frustrated guy that wants to see the best for the club. That's not get, making any headway and trying to you know get his foot in the door to try to help. Mm. That's what it looks like. It just looks like he's got no communication within the club and just wants to help and he's getting the same information drip fed to him like everyone else is um, in rugby league world. So uh, it reminds me a little bit of uh, the Broncos when it was, um, might have been Seabold before he got the punt yeah. where like Laz Glenn Lazarus and Steve Renoff and Talos were all going mad saying, you know, we're not even allowed at the club. There's no communication. The players don't know our history, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, I, I feel sorry for Matt Cooper um, because he just looks like a, another guy who's uh, first and foremost a fan of the club now, but secondly, one, like you said, one of the greatest centres, um, A, of the modern era and one of the best defensive, cent defensive centres to ever play for the Dragons. So, and, and that's, that's, you know, not been 
that's not even talking about all the tries he scored and, and how good he was um, with mm. the ball again. So, yeah, another frustrated man trying to um, help the club. Yeah, well, they're all they're all lining up, and I guess that kind of transitions nicely into our, into our next point. I wanted to kind of bring up uh, some of the the comments on culture because I think there were some interesting comments, and we I just kind of briefly spoke about them there with with Craig Young because we've we've kind of got two differing opinions, which I I think probably sums up the Dragons and where they are at the moment. We had uh, Ryan Webb, the Dragon CEO, who um, late last week or earlier last week. Had sent his his members update to all the all the dragons um, members where um, he said and, and I'm quoting this from from uh, from a Fox Sport article. Um, this was uh, an article from the Sufferers. They said um, uh, Dragons chairman Craig Young has caught out the players that snubbed the club's presentation night in an interview that completely contradicts what the CEO said about the matter. Only three players turned up to the club's night of nights, which Young told News Corp, uh, Corp was disappointing to say the least, and conceded the Dragons' culture needs working on. His comments come less than a week after CEO Ryan Webb said in a letter to members that the criticism was unwarranted and claimed that pushing the date back to accommodate the NRLW squad made it difficult for many to attend. Uh, went on to say Webb's exclamation didn't fly with rugby legend Laurie Daly, who said on Sky Sports Radio's Big Sports Breakfast that no shows were very disappointing. So not only we've got all this kind of um, off-the-field stuff and players unhappy and the future of Anthony Griffin and, and I guess the the lack of culture there. We've also kind of got two of the more important people in upper management for the Dragons, the uh, the chairman, um, Craig Young, and, and then the CEO, Ryan Webb, who kind of aren't on the same page. It would be one thing if they were they were kind of both had kind of come out and given those media type answers and said, oh, there's no culture issues. There's no issues at the Dragons. Everything is A-OK. All this stuff's been blown in proportion. But for me, reading this and hearing this, it's concerning that kind of Ryan Webb says, no, there's no issue. Um, and so fans kind of hear that last week and think, oh, okay, like, well, I'm, I'm going to take the CEO's word for it. But now we're, we're hearing the chairman, Craig Young, say, oh, no, well, actually, I think there is some culture issues. It needs working on. And then he comes out and he he kind of condemns the players that that haven't haven't made it. I think it probably just sums up the position that the, the entire the Dragons club is in at the moment, Kurt. The left hand doesn't seem to know what the right hand is doing. Yeah, it feels like that the club's got a bit of um, schizophrenia at the moment. I mean, Craig Young speaking in in one in one turn as a official member of the club and and a, you know from his from his boardroom and all that kind of stuff. But then yeah. you got Craig Young that that played all those games and you know won premierships and state of origins and went on kangaroo tours and was on the field of the two thousand and ten grand final crying with his with his son Dean and. So the conflictions just through the club, it feels like there's, there's so many different um, things going on and, and people kind of – and I think I said this last week or the week before, there's, there's spot fires everywhere. Yeah. And there's just spinning plates and spot fires everywhere. And, and, and when it gets bad, and I don't think this is even – I don't even think this is the, you know, kind of halfway point yet. Mm. This, this is getting to the point where now – and and rugby league media kind of get to these news cycles where they they're a bit like piranhas, and when they taste a bit of blood, it's all hands on deck, and that's it. I mean, all of a sudden, every other club wants to to read about the dragons every day. So you've got every journo from you know, and, and I use this inverted commas from from News Corp and um, the Herald, who are owned by Nine and TV, radio, newspaper. Right down to um, bottom feeders like my, myself, the 81st minute, who've got contract uh, contacts at, at clubs and players and all that kind of stuff. Everyone wants a quote. Everyone wants to know what's going on. So this isn't going to stop. And I think the more this goes on, we will. I think we will eventually see someone 
at the club form is sold by the start of next year. That's that's the way it it's going. To, it surely has to happen. And it's concerned. I'm, I'm, I'm honestly saying the CEO. I mean, this this could be the coach because I think if everyone two months ago sat there and said, who needs to go? No one would have said Ryan Webb. They would have said Anthony Griffin. But mm. the longer this goes on, and I'm not saying it's mismanagement because the Dragons might be doing good things off the field that I don't know about, but from a perception point of view in rugby league, perception is everything. Yeah. Ryan Webb is not in the firing line yet, but if he stands by Anthony Griffin and this goes on and on and more players come out against Griffin, mm. then what are, we, what are we talking about here? Well, that's and, and that's the concern, isn't it? I think you can only go so far. It's one thing when there might be a couple of players, a couple of younger players that aren't, aren't happy with the way that a veteran coach works, but when you've kind of got players like Jack Gazevsky, he's been around for a long time, Jack. He's, he, he had a, a fairly established career at Manly and was hoping for a chance at the Dragons. You've got George Burgess, who's won premierships and and, and, and played test football for, for England. It's It really is concerning, and, and he seems to be the uh, the mitigating factor in, in kind of all of this stuff is, is Anthony Griffin and he's inability it appears to to deal with with these uh, these players and and I guess the way that he deals with them causing more issues and more harm uh, than good but there certainly is uh, is concern um, at, at maybe not board level but at, at a management level for the dragons it was interesting to hear uh, in that Fox Sports article. Craig Young say that uh, the issues that had, had kind of spilt out from the presentation night were going to be dealt with by um, himself, the football manager, Benny Harron, and also the CEO. So we'll see if anything does kind of transpire from that. I'm sure the Dragons, they just want to throw a wet blanket over the flames now. They want to forget about that. I want to forget about it. Dragons fans want to forget about the presentation night fiasco, but it's just another another item in a long list of, of miserable things that have happened since at the end of the season, if, uh, if that wasn't bad enough for, for the Dragons uh, in season 20. 22. I guess in a little bit of more positive news, um, uh, Torrell Sloan has officially pulled his release request and uh, had comments in support of Ryan Webb, uh, uh, talking about that article by Eamon Berta of the Daily Telegraph. We released that on our social media page yesterday. And uh, if you listened to SEN this morning, you would have heard uh, Eamon's comments uh, around uh, Torrell Sloan. Obviously, there were, was some trepidation from Tyrell's point of view in terms of, uh, of, of, of being worried about talking to the Dragons. But one thing he did make very clear uh, in that conversation with Eamon was, uh, he did feel really supported by by Ryan Webb. You can jump on our socials to see some of the some of the comments that Tyrell made. But I guess just in short, he really respected the fact that that Ryan Webb came down to the Koori Knockout in Nara. He wanted to find out a bit more about um, the Indigenous culture of a few of the Dragons boys, but specifically Tyrell Sloan. And he certainly seems like he's been a really good sounding board for Tyrell in terms of him trying to uh, wanting to stay at the Dragons. Um, I, 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 I'm, I'm sure there were probably times when Tyrell wanted to get out of there, um, but he, he seems to um, kind of be in a, in a much better space now that he uh, he wants to wants to fight for that fullback role. He wants to fight for a first grade position, and I think that's that's positive news for the Dragons because he, he is a tremendous player, Tyrell Sloan, and I, I really do think he will be a star in the future for the for the Red V. So finally, um, a little bit of good news there, but good news probably waging amongst uh, plenty of bad news, which is probably how we kind of have to finish our uh, news and update section. Um, hasn't been confirmed yet, but Danny Widler is reporting that Shane Flanagan looks set to take up an assistant coach role with Manly. He's currently the list manager at the St. George Illawarra Dragons. Uh, I guess there's been a little bit of criticism bandied around by fans about what's he actually doing as a list manager 
manager because there hasn't been a whole lot of quality signings for the Dragons since uh, he's been there. But uh, he's obviously very, very keen to get back into the coaching game, Kurt, and Manly uh, looking like they're, they're going to sign Anthony Seabold as, as head coach and a chance that Shane Flanagan um, looks to take a, an assistant coach role there. Manly have come out, they said nothing has happened, but they are, were, were very interested and very keen to get um, Flanagan on, on their books. I honestly can't believe the Dragons haven't kind of made more of a play for him to be involved in, in the coaching setup as, as the Dragons. A, a premiership winner turned Cronulla away, around from a uh, effectively a, a rags to riches story. Surprised that the, the Dragons haven't kind of tried to try to do more to get him in, in some kind of coaching position, but they've, they've obviously got their reasons and, and it looks as like if Flano might be taking up a, a deal with Manly from, from 2023 onwards if, if Danny Wadler's right, Kurt. What a strange combination Seabold Hasler is. Uh, uh, Seabold Flanagan. Mm. Like, really? That's that. I, I can't see that working. Um, and to go, I guess, going from list management at the Dragons, which is probably um, overall, to, to call it a, a, a green tick, is probably a two, three-year job. Um, to go to Manly as an assistant, you're kind of just sitting there biding your time and hoping that Seabold um, sucks at his job. Mm. And then maybe it gets the job next year. Um, I've got a question for you, Jack. Yep. Would you rather, over the next, say, two, three years, your head coach be Shane Flanagan or Des Hasler? Oh, that's a tough one. Um... I'd probably say Flanagan, to be honest. I, I, I just really liked what he did at Cronulla, and I know there's going to be some fans that are, that are absolutely irate and, and they don't like Flanagan, all of the, uh, the the peptide stuff that came out of Cronulla and, and all of that kind of stuff, but I think what he did with a, uh, a, a really poor Cronulla side, like they were poor, they were poor for a long time, and he was able to turn them around. He was a, a wonderful recruiter. He brought the the likes of, of Luke Lewis and uh, Andrew Fafida, Wade Graham, um, even players like Sam Tagatizi, just good club players, some mongrel in that forward pack. The way he was able to turn that around and and beat a very good Melbourne side in, the, in that grand final, as well as regularly being in a finals fixture, I would take him because I think that's probably what's needed. A rebuild is needed at the Dragons. Um, Des Hasler is a fantastic coach, a, a multi-premiership winning coach. But I guess what does concern me is you, you look at some of the clubs. Um, well, I guess you look at Canterbury after he left and it's not fair to, to kind of lay blame on Des Hasler for, for Canterbury's woes for all the time that they've been poor over the last five or six seasons. But I, I think that that kind of is the knock on him as a head coach that, yeah, sometimes he does leave the place in a, a bit of a worse shape than perhaps it was when, when he got there. Um, but I think uh, you, you'd take either of them, Kurt. They're, they're premiership winning coaches. Uh, Wayne Bennett's the only coach that's come to St. George Illawarra with that kind of repertoire, a premiership winning coach. So I would kill to have either of them. But to be honest, I, I don't think I could not see uh, Des Hasler coming into the Dragons simply because he wants the reins. He wants the reins of everything there. He doesn't want to have to be reporting to board members and doing things a certain way because management tell him to. He's, he's someone that wants... Um, uh, wants in, in, uh, wants to be inclusive of exclusive. Wants everything kind of under under his stewardship as the coach and as recruitment and getting the right people in the football management positions for him. And I can't see that happening at the Dragons. I was hoping that that might be a Shane Flanagan type job for the Dragons down the track. But even despite him being assistant under McGregor in in 2020 and, and his ban expiring, it looks as if he's off to Manly. And I really do feel like this is a missed opportunity by the Red V. Am I wrong, though, in saying that 
Um, so Douse was CEO when Nathan Brown was there. Yeah. Uh, and Brown did not have full reign, and and he had to report, you know, and and it was across the board thing. McGregor, when he was coach, um, Millwood was the recruitment manager, to the point where McGregor would be asked about a player coming into the club or a player leaving. He'd say, I don't, I don't know anything about it. Yeah. But didn't the Dragons get to the point where they just couldn't get it done? And Dow said, fine, if we get Bennett, we have to suck eggs and let him do what he wants. The, the problem, I guess, to answer my own question as well, is that what, what does the Dragon salary cap look like if Des has a lease after two years? Yeah. And to your point, if Flanagan's there, Flanagan's probably going to be there for five, ten years if, if he did get the job. So, yeah, I mean, there's devil and, um, you know, it, both of them have got their pros, both of them have got their, their cons, but... I mean, to me, the Dragons just have to do something a little bit different. So yeah, yeah, everything's haphazard with with the Dragons, Kurt. Like even the the, the Wayne Bennett thing, the Dragons stumbled stumbled into that. They like they honestly stumbled on on Wayne Bennett. I'm not saying they weren't interested, but Wayne Bennett, as you um as you you'd kind, you've kind of spoken about before, he had a handshake agreement prior to that, a few years prior to that, with Nick Politis that 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 fell through. So that was, I guess, the first sliding door moment for the Dragons. And then North, it, it looked certain that he was going to sign with with the Cowboys, and then and then that that fell down. And then it just so happened the Dragons were the third suitor. But then, bad enough, Bennett would have wanted to be there for five years. He wanted a five year contract, but the Dragons only offered him three. And and that's the media reports. Who knows why that was the case? But it just seems to be whether it's coaching or recruitment or um, whatever it is with the club, it, everything's kind of seems to be a, a knee-jerk reaction. Everything seems to be kind of reactive. There's no plan set in place. People take the piss out of the West Tigers. They take the piss out of the Warriors and other sides. But at least with, uh, I guess, with with the West Tigers, there's a plan. Yes, Benji Marshall might turn out and be turn out to be a terrible coach, but at least there's a plan in place for them. Tim Sheens is is kind of leading. He's going to be uh, working with um, Benji Marshall. Uh, it's, there's going to be the brains trust there. They're working towards something. This is what Paul Smith said probably six or eight weeks ago when we reported this in the Dragons News and Update when he kind of laid the boot into the Dragons and, and was kind of alluding to the fact they are so poorly run that it, everything is so so reactive. Um, so it would be interesting to know what the conversations are like behind closed doors in board meetings if they're talking about the future of Griffin if they're talking about recruitment if they're talking about the future of the St. George Illawarra Dragons whether uh, there is talk about well um, maybe maybe Anthony Griffin isn't the man for the job but maybe we're holding on to him until we see someone that 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 suits the style of um, of coach that we want but then again maybe not if you're looking at at past um, past history and past results and the past things that the the Dragons have done um, there's a good chance they they might just kind of luck out on something and find a coach that might be able to turn the round or they might go go back to a, to a former player and hope that they can relive some of their past glories. But uh, but but for mine, Kurt, um, Dragons management down to, to recruitment and, and even the the coaching performance is way too reactive without the Dragons being proactive enough. Like some of the clubs, like we've seen uh, the Canterbury-Bankstown Bulldogs and even to a lesser extent the West Tigers over uh, the last six months with some of their coaching and recruitment decisions. Yeah, I, look, I, I think we've spent enough time on it, but to, just to bookend that as well, and I've just highlighted some, some like, and I said keywords before, Bert, and I think this is the one thing that, that Dragons fans can relate to these Dragons players that are feeling a bit frustrated. Bert just used words like believe in you, um, Torrell Sloan, um, third, you know, third person through the journalist in SEN. Mm. You want to feel wanted. 
Um, he wanted to know what the culture, you know, like, um, you know, show some interest. Mm. I think at the end of the day, the fans and the players that want to be there and turn the club around just want something to believe in. Yeah. Yep. So if, it, if it's long-term coaching and, and the, the club comes out and says, this is where we want to be next year, this is our goal for the year after, this is our goal for, for here, and then by then we want to plan for a top four potential grand final by 2025, Dragons fans could take that. Yeah. But yep. everything is just being played just, you know, at an arm's length where I, I don't know. But – to me, the, the the more the players come out and, and use these big words, they, these are emotive words. Yeah. And obviously the Dragons fans have been saying the same thing for a long time. So um, I don't even know how we got here. I think we started on, on Manly. But... <laughs> we did. But we, we, always yeah. find, we always find a way to, to work our way um, into something different. But, um, Play on. Move to, on. To our, our last bit of news, um, uh, and uh, I guess um, – not totally relating to the Dragons, but relating to them a little bit, um, is uh, the uh, the uh, the Redcliffe Dolphins have signed former Dragon Pawasa Farmasuli. He was uh, at our uh, club. We signed him from the Roosters, spent a couple of years at the Dragons, mainly a reserve grader. Be interested to see if he comes out with any comments about uh, Anthony Griffin. Seems to be the flavour of the month at the moment, but uh, best of luck to Pawasa in his next stage uh, of life up there with the Dolphins. A pretty decent signing, a bit of a depth signing in uh, the forwards for them. Uh, before we finish our Dragons news and updates section, it's time for the Who Am I this week on the Red V podcast. The player this week played a total of 184 games and equated to 23 tries and was born in England, Queensland on the 30th of March, 1968. This particular player is a hooker and started their career at the Illawarra Steelers in 1989. They played a total of five seasons for the Steelers, probably really in their heyday, uh, if you want to if you want to say that, uh, playing in the, uh, the Steelers. A 1989 Panasonic Cup midweek defeat against the Brisbane Broncos, then went on to have a good season in 1992 with Illawarra as they uh, they won the uh, the Tui's preseason cup, their only piece of silverware they collected uh, in their history, and then took them within a game of the grand final in 1992, where they had some ring dinger battles against the St George Dragons, and uh, finished his final season at the Steelers in 1993. Played 102 career games for the Steelers, went on to be a bit of a journeyman after that. He played six games for South City in 1994, 11 games across two seasons for North Queensland in 1995 and 1996. A further two seasons at the Adelaide Rams playing 35 games and scoring six tries and finished his career with the Parramatta Reels in 1999 and 2000, playing 30 games for a total of 184 games. This player is also a hooker. We've got a few little other uh, bits of tidbits information that we can uh, throw in there. Kurt, you got some ideas of who you think the Who Am I is uh, this week on the Red V podcast? Are they Italian by any chance, Jack? Um, I'm not sure what their what their ethnic yeah, is. Okay, just in your own head. Yes, yes, yes. They, they actually know. I do know. They, <laughs> they are of Italian uh, Italian descent. I didn't know that before, but reading it now, it does make a lot of sense. Yes. So I think you're, you're you're definitely on the right track, Kurt. And I reckon other people will be. But we'll give a few little other clues before we uh, reveal it a little bit later on in the podcast. Well, we've jumped through all of that negative, crazy uh, dragons news and updates here on the Red V Podcast, and time to be a little bit happier. Let's uh, let's jump in the time machine. Let's go back to the 1990s if you are a St. George fan because we're going to play part two of our chat with Luke Felsch talking all about the 1996 Grand Final playing for the St. George Dragons in their final ever standalone season in 1998 including that controversial semi-final defeat to the Dogs where Steve Clark's name was ringing outside Cogra Oval and also coming back and playing for the Dragons in 2002.
Well, Luke, I guess talking about giggles, I've been asked by a former Dragons player, Rex Turp, to, I guess, get to the bottom of how you how you uh, you uh, got the nickname of Flares. Would you mind uh, giving us a bit of insight into, into that, Luke? Yeah, it was um, – we played Canberra. This is back in 94, and they um, – down at Canberra, and they belted us. We got beat pretty convincingly, and that – and I didn't play first grade for a while after that game. And um, so, yeah, and so uh, we were just out there and it was actually, the, that was the first time we played front row, starting front row for ages because I was always playing like back row. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, and then I was just running across the field doing everything and then we got, oh, I think it was like, oh, they'd put like 40 or 50 points on us or something like that. And then we had our like, video review which no one was really looking forward to um, on the Monday or Tuesday afterwards. And then we get in there and Brian Smith, he just he's going to go through the video. Um, he's not – he didn't cut anything out. He's just going to watch the whole game and just mm. go through it and just pick on everyone. So we're going through the whole game. And, and then I had number um, 41 there on at the time. Um, Wells played number 41. And then, like, it's got after um, – then we're going through the video, having a look, and he's, you know, bagging everybody that's doing things wrong and same. And then, like, then he goes, after 41 minutes, number 41, you know, starting to show signs of distress signals. After 10 minutes, 41, you know, he's looking like in trouble. After 15 minutes, 41, yeah, there's real trouble starting to come. Then after 20 minutes, so it went off after 20 minutes. He goes, yep, 41, he's off, flares are gone up. He's had enough, he's out of there. <laughs> So, so yeah, and that's and it was pretty much afterwards. We, um, I think we went for a couple of beers afterwards just to say, oh, you know, just trying to to do, um, you know, work out what we needed to do right, and you know, just to get a bit of bonding and things like that back together. And <laughs> yeah, then a couple of boys, I think it was like Jeff Hardy and a few of them, just laughed about the getting called the flares. And <laughs> so yeah, and then um, we're, so that's how the name stuck. But the worst thing about that day too, yeah. He said he was going to go through the whole half, and then he didn't go through the second half. And I know Gordon was shitting him. Oh, sorry, I shouldn't say that. No, Gordon that's right. <laughs> he, was, he was shitting himself because he did something wrong in the second half, and he was thinking he was that happy that he didn't go through the second half because he, he yeah. thought he was going to cop it then too. <laughs> well, it's an interesting story. I'm glad I asked the question, Luke, because yeah, I was uh, I was interested as to how the nickname um, had uh, had stuck or had had, had originated. But um, I'm glad I'm glad I asked the question. <laughs> <laughs> so so after all these dramatic semi-finals, you, you get to the grand final uh, against Manly in in 1996. What was the I guess the day leading up to uh, the afternoon grand final like for you, Luke? Well, the day was good. Um... I had mum and dad, they come down for the grand final, so which was good. I was actually, dad was meant to work because um, he was a ship worker, worked in the, um, the sugar mill up at Broadwater there. And um, so he pulled a few strings to, to get out and the club got him down like for the game because, yeah, it was, looked like he wouldn't be able to make it. So they were down, so it was really good. And then we'll get ready for the game. And I remember that night, my, big, my car got broken into oh, great. Um, the night before. Um, and they stole off the radio and all that, broke the window out of the car, and it was raining that night, and I think, oh, okay, yeah, no worries. But I was all right. But then the next day, just obviously got on with it, and, um, yeah, then we went to the ground, and it was just just a great feeling, like pump, 
um, you know, it just felt like it was pumping. Obviously, it was a wet day. I remember, I think it rained during reserve grade there, and it was, um, yeah, but just just the buzz. Um, it just, you know, it's just big. It's like your um, big euphoria, um, you know, just really enjoyed, like, um, the buzz for it, just to get hyped up and get right into it and just soaking up. I just remember, like, soaking it up, the atmosphere, and just say, yeah, let's get out there and have a good crack and, Let's you know finish this off as a good on a good note. Do you think if it was a dry grand final, it would have suited you guys a bit better? Because you did have a lot of flamboyant players when you looked at Dean Raper at the back, Anthony Mundine, Noel Goldthorpe, uh, Mark Coyne, Mark Bell had been in good form in, in in the final series. St George are more of a side that threw the ball around and liked to go to the edges, whereas Manly were happy to, I guess make it a, a real kind of forward game through the middle of the park. Do you think the, the wet conditions made it a bit harder for you guys to, to play your natural game? Um, I hadn't really thought too much about that. So obviously, like you, you said, it type thing. But yeah, it probably might, may have helped us um, a little bit type thing. Yeah, with, um, yeah, like doing that. Um, though obviously like a pretty good side, man. They're very defensively. Um, you know, they were, they were obviously pretty hard to crack. But, yeah, look, just um, if they made a few bounces of the ball go our way, um, and obviously you've got to make your own luck, you know. You, mm. you talk about some sides being lucky, but you still have to make your own luck. You can't just go out there and expect the luck to turn up. Um, that, yeah, you know, it could have been a different story. So, so yeah. But, it may yeah, it may have helped us a bit. Talking of uh, could have been a different story, the the Matt Ridge tackle, what what did you see from that? Where Were you out in the field when, when that happened, Luke? No, I think i just come off then when it happened and then and I didn't realise what was going on and obviously I had seen it afterwards and, yeah. And I think, yeah, I remember someone told me, I think there was only two people in the, on the, in the ground and um, two people in the ground and on TV that um, thought he was held and that – I uh, thought he wasn't held, and that was um, Matthew Ridge and um, uh, David Man- David Manson. I yeah, think he that's was right. Yep, yep. Yeah, I think they were the only two people that didn't think he was held, but everybody else did. So, and yeah, we couldn't believe it, obviously. But that's the thing. Um, there's other things in the game where you think, okay, well, you could have changed this or you could have done that. Mm. Um, you've got to get yourself in that position early so it, those things don't cost you. But yeah, it, it wasn't a great because that was just leading to half-time. Then they scored, I think, a play or two afterwards, which, yeah, you know, obviously put us a bit on the back foot. So, but yeah. Yeah, as I said, I think there was only two people there that thought that he wasn't held. What were your emotions at, at full-time, Luke, after losing a, a game uh, like that, having done so well to get to the grand final, but unable to, to come up with a win uh, against Manly in those 80 minutes? Um, yeah, it was... Uh, and mate, yeah, obviously disappointed because um, you go out there to win and give it your crack and things like that. So, you know, obviously happy. I was happy to have that opportunity, but like at the end, you know, I was just disappointed that you know that we didn't come home with the bickies. Um, you know, so gave it, you know, gave it a crack, hundred percent, and. That's what I always remember. Like we had, like, um, uh, had an old old coach back in under thirteens at school. He said, you know, just leave everything. Um, it, I, 
you got to leave when you get off the field. Actually, now that's not under 19s. This old Bobby Carnegie played for Newtown, and um, he just said, you, "When you come off the field, you just got to be spent, and know that you've spent everything out on the field. You know, trying to to get it. And if everybody can do that, then you know, obviously, um, you've given it a good crack. And mm. and I did feel pretty spent, like after the game, um, and yeah, just disappointed. No one, no one likes uh, losing, so just you know, obviously just thinking, okay, well, what can we do? Let's get ready for next year, I guess. Well, next year was a, a little bit different to some of the other seasons that you, you played, Luke, because the competition was was split in two for, for 1997. And as you, as you mentioned, you, you dislocated your wrist, which I think limited you to only 10 games during that, that 1997 season. I guess for the games that you were playing, what was it like playing in a season where I guess there was half the teams and half the quality and probably have to say half the crowds in a lot of those fixtures. Yeah, it was, certainly it was different um, with it. And as I said, yeah, I only played like half a season that year, obviously because of the wrist. And and I guess like for myself, it was pretty much I was only like focusing on myself to get through the games because um, like I had like a, with my wrist, I had like guards, and they're nearly the size of um, Mel Meninga's um, arm guards that he had, <laughs> just to try and get me get me through and things like get yeah to get through. And um, so yeah, it was obviously a bit disjointed, and I was obviously glad that when it all came back together um, for the '98 season. Um, but yeah, it was just a bit of a really roller coaster season for me, and it wasn't overly. Obviously happy with what happened to me at the start of the seat. You know, it's obviously no one's fault type thing, but um, just when you get a you know a little serious injury like that, just trying to get yourself right and get back into it. The 1998 St George side looked a little bit different to, to the side that played in '97. I know there was a, there was a few young players in the halves and in those key playmaking positions in '97. But in '98, you get Anthony Mundine back from from Brisbane, um, and then Nathan Blacklock, who had uh, had a ne- uh, season-ending in, in, knee injury in 1997, exploded um, in 1998. I think he scored 20 tries throughout the season. What was it like to play with those guys, Mundine and, and Blacklock, that were just so electrifying and could score pretty much from anywhere in the field? Yeah, no, that was great. You just um, never really knew what was going to happen. Like, you knew what was going to happen, but you just didn't, you know. Like, they just bring out some individual brilliance. Um, and it was, yeah. And, yeah, they were just and really nice guys. I know a lot of people think Chuck's a bit of an idiot and stuff like that, but um, he's a really good bloke. Like, once you get to know him off the field and away from where he, you know, out of, out of his sporting life, he's a really nice guy, do anything for you. Um, but yeah, it was, yeah, it was great fun. You know, you just sometimes you just sit back and clap and say, yeah, how good is this, you know, just to mm. watch them, um, you know, with what they can do. And you just wish you had, you know, half their speed and that you could <laughs> do those things and talent, you know, just to do those freaky type of things they could do. What do you remember from that 1998 season, Luke? Um, so yeah, it was, um, no, yeah, it, like, Season we're going through. It was like a bit of an up and down season. Um, we, um, yeah, it, it was okay. I do remember um, I actually broke my thumb halfway through the season, so I missed um, I think about five or six games then, and um, which I was disappointed because then what was happening then too? That was when the St George Illawarra mm-hmm. and Dragons merger was happening too, 
And then they all, like, the Illawarra had a few props already signed up and same as, like, St. Joe, I hadn't re-signed yet. And, and then, then it broke me thumb and then I um, obviously started looking, had to, I was looking elsewhere, um, obviously for another alternative. But, yeah, it was a good season. Like, there was a few games I know that a few people wrote us off and that we did, we did win. And um, so, yeah, and it was a shame, like, like getting towards the end, I think we were getting a bit of momentum going, and then um, we played the the dogs at Hogra in the semis. There, one of like you know, we, it was a game that we probably should have won, type mm. thing. And yeah, we just didn't. I know I was filthy on myself at that game because I did drop a couple of balls during that game as well. And um, I think it was just like um, towards the end, like a, I felt you know it was something that we should have gone further, but yeah, we. We, you know, uh, opportunity that we let slip through our hands. What was it like to be involved with that that game at Cogra, knowing that if if you lost it, it was the final game as uh, as a standalone St George side. Was there sadness at, at full time? I guess maybe double barreled sadness with the fact that you lost a semi final as well. Yeah, yeah, it was like it. I guess it didn't really sink in till afterwards. Um, a, l- a little while afterwards, that it was the last St George, you know, as a as a team type game, um, and so yeah, but yeah, so the so like it was, you know, obviously disappointment that we we lost and bowed out of the the finals race. So that was you know, pretty hard, like on everybody things like that. And it's also because I was leaving the club too, mm. so I knew, you know, obviously we finished as my last game for that as well. So there was, you know, a couple of things. That was going on, and then obviously, yeah, like later on afterwards, thinking, oh well, yeah, it's actually the last St George game too. So yeah, so it was like you know three big things that hit you afterwards that you know obviously like pretty disappointed with, but and you think, okay, well, I've got to get on to it, um, mm. move on. And um, I was getting married. I got married at the end of that that season anyway. So obviously there was something there, a highlight there for us. Um, to be a wife, Kim. So we're still married together now, and. Um, so, yeah, so, and then obviously a new opportunity was coming up and I was heading over to England. Were there any other opportunities to stay in Australia in the, in the NRL at that stage, Luke? Um, how did, yeah, and, and I guess how did that, that move to, to England transpire at the end of 1998? Yeah, there was a couple of opportunities, um, like, to stay in uh, Australia. It was, but the England, the England move was... Um, uh, it was it was a probably good one, like um, a good opportunity financially and all that. And it was always something that I wanted to do, like mm. just to go over there and have a have a look and play. So it was probably a little bit earlier than I thought that I wanted to do. But um, yeah, it was just like okay, well let's go over, have a look. Um, new club was starting up, and there's a lot of other Aussies that was going over to start up this new club. At the time, so we thought, oh well, let's go over and um, give it a crack. What was the what was your life like over there in England? You played with Gateshead uh, for one season, then you went across and played two seasons with Hull. Did you enjoy your time? Not just, I guess, playing football over there, but the the lifestyle that I guess it can be playing in the UK and being close to other major cities in Europe. Yeah, no, it was good. Like, um, yeah, so we had the first year at Gateshead, and um, and we did pretty good. Like, we did all right. Uh, with that, and then um, the club ran into financial difficulties, and so we merged with Hull. Um, 
Then we went down there. But, yeah, the lifestyle over there is obviously very different to here. It's um, You can understand why the pub culture over there is, like, pretty big and, you know, they enjoy going for a pint and all that at the pub because, like, some of the days you just get outside and you think it was just wet and miserable. There's not much else to do. Um, wow. So so you can do that. And, it's, and it was – I really noticed, like, it was amazing, um, like – Around like July, August were probably the best two months of the year. But um, when the sun would come out, how different the attitude on people would change. Yeah. Um, from being like um in grey, grey, cloudy days like all that time. But living over there, it was great. Like we um went over there. Tony Grimaldi, um, who I played with at mm. Saints, like him and his wife, they were over there too. And like obviously met. And there was a few Aussies over there, like you know Craig Wilson, Craig Simon, like um. Benny's Emmett, a lot of those guys that we went to Andrew here, um, we're all uh, so we just made like a big group of friends because we're all like the um, the same. So it was kind of like when you when I first went down the Saints, just like a big family group mm. just stuck over there. So we all got on pretty good. But yeah, we like with the um, Steve Collins and all that with the um, the Grimaldis, we used to do like a bit of travel. We'd travel up, especially where Gateshead, so that was up Newcastle, up north of England. So we'd go up to Scotland a bit yeah. and we'd go around like the. Um, little countryside towns and we did all that and then with the year later um we had our first child was born um Kiara and then with um one of our other friends uh, Steve Pollins that was over there playing and they also had a boy born the same year as well and then we travel around we got uh camper vans and travel around Europe and we did all that mm. so which was really good and we had like obviously some great fun so it was a great base to get around and have a look but the, the footy over there was pretty tough um in relation to it. it was a little bit slower than what it was in australia or yeah. what the speed wise but it was more physical um because it was a bit slower so you you knew you got whacked over there and and a few of the the, the english didn't like us aussies so they always <laughs> used to put a little bit of ex, extra in for us what what were the conditions like playing over there? Playing in England, particularly up in the north of England in the the middle of winter, there would have been a few frosty uh, afternoon and evenings. I imagine playing Luke. Yeah, I remember the like the the comp was a summer comp, but obviously we'd start the games, you know, in you know Feb trial matches and Feb March and all that. And I remember one of the first games that we played, like up at Gateshead, and it was oh, it was probably only like two or three degrees and. Mm. It was that cold, I and mean, when they come off the field, um, like I couldn't move my fingers, like to undo my shoelaces or anything like that. Um, I just had to jump in the the shower just to warm yeah, up wow. to get my fingers moving, because um, it just felt like you stuck your hand in a um, esky full of ice. Um, so yeah, so it did take a little bit of used to get into those conditions, and it was quite funny when we were over there too. Like um, if it started snowing, like when we were training, like during the off season, like us, the Aussies would get outside and start throwing snow at each other, having snowball <laughs> fights, and the Pommies were just looking at us saying, "He's a silly bastard. <laughs> what he's doing." So you spent three years over in the the UK um, and, and finished uh, your third and final season with Hull in, in two thousand and one. You played uh, finals in in that season as well for Hull, so probably a good way to finish your, your career in in England, Luke. How did the the move back to the Dragons transpire for two thousand and two? Um. Yeah, it was just like we had enough. Like we, our elders, like she, she was um, oh, two or three, then turning three soon. And then, um, so yeah, so we just wanted to come back home. We had enough over there. Three years was enough for us. So we thought 
let's come back and we'll see if there's an opportunity. Um, and then, yeah, there was like an opportunity that came back um, to the drag, like to or to the to the dragons um, that they did. So they yeah they threw that out like the um, had a chat and then later on after which I agreed in principle too and didn't have um, like nothing really was oh there's a little paper thing signed but not a contract type thing until I come back and then after that then like got um, also another offer from like Penrith and they wanted to go there and it was nearly like three times the offer and it wasn't much oh. money that I was getting when I was coming back and I'm thinking oh okay, we should do that, but because I kind of like agreed already with the um, the Dragons, I thought I'd better, you know, stick to that. And so, and that's how I ended up um, coming back and then playing at yeah, St. George Illawarra in the 2002 season. I guess you're probably one of the more experienced players there. Andrew Farrow was the coach for, for 2002 for, for the Dragons. There were some kind of young kids coming through. I know Trent Barrett was probably one of the more experienced ones, but players like uh, Ben Hornby and Aaron Gorrell and Dean Young, who were kind of in and around that first grade side, were were, were fairly young. Do you have good memories of, of that season? Yeah, yeah. No, they, were, they had some really good young. I was, I was 28 and I was the oldest in the team. Mm. So... And um, but yeah, they had a really you know good young talented side coming through like those guys that you said you know and there was like you know Jason Rolls and um, Luke Bailey, um, yeah like so there's some really good talent coming through and obviously it was very competitive for spots as it always is and you know and they um, like obviously worried you know worried a few teams obviously for a few years and eventually they got through to get the grand final win there in 2010. Um, so, but it was, um, yeah, it was great to come back, have a look, bump a few old acquaintances as well, like mm. obviously with coaching staff behind there again and, um, helping out. So yeah. And it was, yeah, good to be a part of it. Um, like obviously like for that team when I got back. Would you have liked to play longer than the, the, the one year at the, the Dragons? How did you, how did the move, I guess, for you stepping away from professional rugby league happen, Luke? I guess I just like I had a like when we come back, our, our second child was born, um, Declan in like in July, and and I guess I was just getting to the stage where I knew, and I pl- I've played footy since I was four um, as well. So, and I thought I got to the stage where I'm thinking, oh, will I be able to be a lot more successful, you know, moving forward and continue, obviously, like the career, or should I really start? getting myself, like making sure I've got a job to walk into, you know, that I've got a job set up to finish when I when I finish playing footy, you know, so I've got a family now, two kids, and, and so, yeah, so I went, obviously, like, towards the family way um, and got me focused. Me focus was more that way, just to say, okay, well, let's move on to the next chapter of my life and, um, you know, get those things set up and move that way. Did you find the transition uh, back to full-time work difficult? I guess the fact that you'd worked in finance when you were playing at the Dragons in your first stint probably made it a bit easier to kind of uh, progress and transition back into not playing rugby league and, and working a, a full-time nine-to-five Monday-to-Friday job, I guess? Yeah, it was it was different. Like, obviously, um, you know, I used to enjoy being out in the sun and training and mm. doing all that. Um, obviously, like it was hard what we did. That wasn't like a you know walk in the park. But then go back into nine to five, and I know 
when I finished, I was still living in um, Sydney then, um, and I was travelling into the city um, each day, so on an hour on the train and an hour back, and I don't have people do that. Like I, I can only last it for a year, and I got I was quite happy to get out of Sydney and get back up the coast to get out of there because it was <laughs> it was doing my head in. So, um, so yeah, and like sometimes now, yeah, look back and think, oh, I wish I, you know, just probably pushed a little bit more, played a little bit longer, and did some other stuff. But um, yeah, it's I'm happy where we are and what how you know how it's all ended up and what's going on now for us. Uh, do you still have much involvement with uh, rugby league, or do you, do you watch the the occasional game, Luke? Yeah, no. When I we moved up to uh, Foster, which was at the start of two thousand and four, um, I actually played. Um, I come up here, and I ha- had said I'd finished playing league, but um, but I came up here, and I thought, like, I, I knew footy it was a good way of opportunity. To, to get to know people. So I yeah. played for the local club up here. And I had a mate, Jason Berg, who I played like lower grades at Saints with. Um, he was living here as well. So we come, I played up here with him and we played for the local club and we won the comp that year, so which was good for Group 3. And so I got to meet a lot of guys, which I'm still obviously good mates with now, you know, throughout the town. And then the the kids, like the, the eldest is a daughter, but then I've got like two boys. They played footy. Um, so yeah, then I got involved in the juniors in up here since 2007 as a like a coach, and then I was been co- I coached the last 13 odd years. I think I haven't done it this year, but I coached them and then also involved in the committee for the mm. juniors and helping out the seniors. And um, so yeah, so still like involved. I'm not doing too much this year because I'm doing a bit of study for work. Um, so I'll just step back for a while just to help that, but. Um, the boys, they, they're still playing footy, like the one's 19, and Tavis um, is 16. So, so yeah, so just enjoy watching them play um, and, you know, get out there and help the club wherever I can do that. Uh, fans are still interested in, in what you're doing with your life um, post-footy, Luke, and you said uh, just before when we were talking off-air that you're, you're working in the finance industry like you were, you were doing when you're, you're playing footy. You're still enjoying that aspect of your life? Yeah, yeah, I do. I'm I'm a financial advisor, so yeah, so I've been doing that for uh, oh over ten, twelve years now. Um, like as like obviously another tag on from the finance industry. So yeah, so no, I enjoy it. Um, just gets annoying where the government changes rules every yeah. five minutes. <laughs> so that's for every that's for everyone's job. So um, but yeah, no, it's good and able like to help people um put them in a better financial position. So. I really enjoy and get a buzz out of that, you know, we, especially like if you're chatting to someone, they want to retire and they're not too sure if they've got enough and that you can help and you say, oh, actually, no, you can retire, you can do this, you know, you, you probably may have enough. So, so yeah, so that uh, gives a real good buzz and, you know, being able to help out people that way. Luke, you spoke uh, a little bit earlier about um, obviously the annual catch up with with Dragons players. You're still keeping contact with, I guess that that side of '96 that a lot of Dragons fans still speak about quite fond- fondly with what you guys did on the field. You still catch up with uh, a few of those guys that um, I guess COVID's kind of made it a bit difficult. But outside of COVID, um, being able to catch up with a few of those players that you you played your career at St George with. Yeah, we usually like have an annual reunion where we do have a catch up, and I do try and get to it. Um, 
and that's like obviously like 96 guys, but there's guys like before that, you know, helped and obviously ones afterwards. And then also like some of the old, like there is a formal reunion too that they have each year, but yeah, COVID's wrecked things um, over the last couple of years um, at this day. So yeah, so we do, I do usually try and get to them to have a catch up just to see everyone's going it's just like you might have seen them for a year but it's just like you've seen them yesterday um mm. you know have a good chat what's going on and yeah and have a few laughs and someone reminds you of a funny story that happened way back when <laughs> and, you know have a lot good 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 old giggle so so yeah and it is good and yeah everyone like, gets on pretty well so which is yeah, there's no no real issues there uh, well, Luke, I want to thank you for giving up your time and, and chatting to us here on the Red V Podcast about your uh, career and your life in, in rugby league. Really enjoyed getting to, to reminisce about the, the 90s and, and certainly about some success that, that you had with, uh, with the St. George Dragons. And yeah, hope you've, uh, you've enjoyed the conversations as much as we have. Thank you for, for dropping by the Red V Podcast today, mate. No, not a problem, Jack. Thanks for your time. And um, yeah, all the best with it. So no, you do a great job, mate. Hi, I'm Ben Cray, and you're listening to the Red V Podcast with Jack and Johnny. That was part two of our chat with former prop Luke Felsch here on the Red V Podcast. Got plenty other quality interviews coming up for you, uh, including next week we'll be chatting with Jeff Armstrong. Jeff is a, a wonderful fan of the Dragons. He's passionate. He uh, knows so much about the, the Red V and he's uh, just released uh, volume two of the Spirit of the Red V incorporating 1968 through to the current day of the St. George Illawarra Dragons. Uh, some avid fans of the podcast remember that we did chat with Jeff last year when uh, volume one one was released talking about the early days and the establishment of the St. George District Rugby League Club and uh, culminating in Volume 2. So looking forward to, to bringing that to you next week on the Red V Podcast. I think it'll be a really good chat and uh, a few little tidbits, few little stories in there about uh, the 1990s, the uh, the tumultuous period of Super League uh, and a lot, lot more as well. But let's uh, jump into your fans' corner questions for this week, folks. Uh, there's plenty of them, so I do appreciate you continuing to send them through. You can always send them to us at Red V Podcast at gmail.com. We love getting to uh, dive into your questions uh, each week on the podcast. And our first one uh, comes from Tim Boucher um, via email. And uh, Tim has emailed and said, Hey, Jack and Curtis, just want to thank you guys for all the hard work you've put into this podcast during a tumultuous off-season and keeping us Dragons fans sane. In most NRL clubs and sporting organisations, the CEO sits at the top and wields the most power when it comes to the decision-making process. As you know, the Dragons have six board members, a coach, a CEO, and I'm pretty sure the cleaner is involved somewhere in the background. Perhaps the Dragons have too many voices in the room and we need to adopt a more modern front office structure. I've been impressed by Ryan Webb when he has appeared on the podcast and Thomas Sloan has said Webb was pivotal in his decision to rescind his release request. Do the Dragons need to empower their CEO to be able to make more footballing decisions and more autonomy when it comes to the running of the club? Cheers, Tim. What do you reckon, Kurt? My first question is, and I, I, I could be completely wrong here, but does the CEO not report to the chairman and the board? I, I would I would believe so. I, I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I'm quite... I'm, Look, I could be wrong, and I may have had – I'm only on my second scotch, so I'm okay. But <laughs> from a West Tigers perspective, like I, I'm I'm quite sure that the chairman of the board uh, makes the decisions and, and highs and fires CEOs. So it, it could be different to the Dragons. I know there was – this could be, again, a, a different tangent, but um, Peter Dowse and whatnot couldn't be voted 
in or out by by mm. members. Um, I'll, I'll leave that to you, Jack. But I, I might do some googling while I'm here. Yeah, well, I know there is a there's a bit of a weird structure when it comes to to board members. I've heard people say that you need to be a you need to be a member for for three years or five years um, for the St George Leeds Club, and then people are saying no, no, you like, even if you're a, a member of the Leeds Club, it doesn't give you voting rights and that kind of stuff. The, honestly, the whole process um, confuses me, and I think that's probably the reason they've got it in place. Um, I don't want to be a, a conspiracy theorist with my tinfoil hat on, um, but I think there's a there's a reason there hasn't been much change in the boardroom, and I think there's probably been a reason for for the lack of success on the field. I would love to see. Um, uh, support all throughout the the boardroom and and management and, and CEO, but honestly, Tim, I, I really haven't got a question for that. I, I, I think it's a great question, and I would I would kind of throw it out to Dragons fans uh, who are listening. Um, obviously, I'm not going to know your replies, but w- what do you think about about Tim's question? Because I reckon that's a that's a really important thing um, to be thinking about. I guess in in the current state of of things at the club, and, and I guess looking forward um, to the future of the Dragons, Jack. I've, I've just done some Googling really quickly. Yeah, so from, from legalvision.com.au, says the balance of power between the CEO and company chair can result uh, resultly ver- uh, vary amid diverse companies. While the board chairperson has more authority within a company than the CEO, the two typically confer on major matters and co-lead the corporate entity. Uh, but the end, the, the end answer is the CEO answer to the chairman. Yep. Yeah, well, it'd be interesting to see what those conversations are like because uh, um, as great as Craig Young was on the field for the Dragons and as great as and as passionate as he is for the club, I don't know if being in a management position is is necessarily something that is part of his strength. So, um, yeah, that's a, that's a difficult one when, when if Ryan Webb is trying to potentially do things uh, in the background for the club and, and, and kind of coming up, maybe he isn't coming up against any opposition, but, uh, yeah, it doesn't instill a whole lot of confidence when, You've got someone like a, a Craig Young that, um, yeah, is probably more of a football brain rather than than a management business brain um, in in that chairman position. Our next question comes from Cooper Island, and Cooper said, "What are Jack's thoughts on what the club's biggest problems are, and what he do to solve them?" Well, I was thinking about this earlier, Cooper, because I saw this uh, question come through on Twitter. Honestly, out of everything that that has happened at the Dragons, whether recruitment, coaching, management, board level, whatever, I think the biggest issue that that that, that uh, encounters the Dragons at the moment is their is their identity. I don't think they know who they are or what they what they want to be, and I think that comes from being a joint venture. And by no means am I saying, oh, we need to demerge the club and St George and the Royal need to be separate because I, I just don't. That, that's never going to work. It's never going to happen. So it's it's pointless to be even um, uh, thinking about those those kind of uh, repercussions of, of what would happen if if the if the brand was was split. But I, I think the Dragons need to they need to go back to basics to to, to really determine who they are. I, the irony is, I think the club was more together in 1999 when they were less than a year old playing in their first season than they are now. Um, we've got fan base, um, fan bases that are split. We've got people that, that think it's great to, to rubbish the Illawarra side of the venture on social media. We've got people rubbishing the St. George side. We need to come together because there's been no success for a long, long time at the club. And I think from kind of board and management level down to, down to the players, I just don't think there's any identity. I would love to see... 
a more vibrant presence, um, not just in the Illawarra region. I think there's a strong presence in the Illawarra region, but I think it could be even better um, by, by the Dragons. We would love to see Dragons players up in schools in the St. George area. I get that it's a small area. I get that it's not the rugby league heartland that it was in the 60s, 70s, 80s, even in the 1990s for the Dragons. Uh, but we, there's kids growing up in the, in the St. George region, in Carlton, in Arncliffe, in Rockdale, in Cogra, in Hurstville, that um, go to school and they might be footy fans, but they're not supporting the Dragons because St. all St. George Illawarra do in the St. George area is play five or six games a year. There's, there's no presence in there. None of their friends are St. George fans. So I would love to see a greater presence at, at, at kind of in schools and at a junior level in both the Illawarra and St. George region. And I would love us to find, um, yeah, find out who we are. Um, what like what do we stand for? What's our philosophy? Uh, what like what what kind of team do we want to be going forward? Um, and, and I think that's that's definitely definitely a difficult thing when you are a merged entity or you, you do enter into into a joint venture, especially with two clubs that were uh, were very very different. I know they had similar colours, but uh, th- that's probably where the similarities stop. It's that that famous story that Nathan Brown said that was probably. Um, maybe taken a bit out of context, but, but it certainly would have bristled um, uh, uh, the, the Illawarra fans and the Illawarra players. That the, the old adage was Illawarra, when they got together, the Illawarra players were, were happy to be selected for state of origin and, and the St. George players wanted to play semi-final football or potentially play in grand finals. So uh, there's obviously a, a disconnect there. There's a disconnect between the fans. There's a disconnect between the board. Ideally, if I, if I could, could buy the club or if I had some kind of say in the club, I, I would love to just wipe the whole... St. George side, Illawarra side would love just to have six or eight independent board members, people that are, um, have got football brains, people that have got business now, because I think that would be the, the, the biggest fix to the problem. Um, but for me, um, Coop, um, identity is the, is the biggest issue with the Dragons. And I think until they um, work that out, until they find a way to, to find their identity, um, then I, I think there's going to be um, potential issues further down the track um, for the St. George Illawarra Dragons. Our next question comes from Sayan Corey. He said, hey, guys, there's a clear disparity in philosophy and messaging between CEO Ryan Webb and Chairman Craig Young and the players, as we spoke about earlier. What needs to change in order to rebuild the culture of the club to sort out some of this professionalism? Is that for me? Yeah, it is, mate. You go. I've, I've answered yeah, last no, week. No. Kurt, you, Kurt, you haven't been earning your money tonight, mate. I've been, no, answering, I've, right. I've been asking the fans questions and answering them, mate. So this is, this is all yours, buddy. No, well, I, I guess it's a little bit too... Uh, and I hope I answer this the right way because I, I took some notes from what you were just saying then too, Jack, in regard to, yeah, the St. George district may not be a big junior hub, but the the best clubs in any sporting, it doesn't have to be rugby league, it, any good sporting competition are after the kids that are six, seven years old and after the kids and the, the kids' kids after that. So, uh, I mean... It, you talk about kids in schools and stuff like that and changing culture. The, the thing as a West Tigers fan, I say this in forums all the time, they go, the biggest issue at West Tigers is, uh, you know, being an inner city club compared to being, um, you know, really engaging and, and, and taking advantage of the Southwest is that, um, <laughs> you, you, that you, you've got to, You've got to take advantage of that. And, and look, a little kid can come home and say, oh, he could be a soccer fan. He could be a Sydney FC fan or whatever. But he comes home and he meets a Ben Hunt for half an hour. Mm. And Ben Hunt comes over. And Ben Hunt's not a big bloke. But, but to a six-year-old, he's a giant. Yeah. And Ben Hunt 
walks in and 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 I come and like, you know this, Jack. So I was born at Hurstville Hospital. Um, all my family lived in the St George area for for decades, going back to the 30s and 40s. My uncles all played for Renown United and Hurstville and all that stuff. So I understand the area. I understand how the the junior district has changed, but. You're after the kids. You're after, you, you want that kid to go home and say, I, I'm, I don't want to wear my Sydney FC jersey. Mum, Dad, yeah. I want to buy a Dragons jersey. Mm. So, and, and going back to what I was saying about the West Tigers forums and, and the crap they say about Campbelltown or, or you know, Camden versus Leichhardt and all that stuff, they go, oh, well, if we start winning, then everyone will shut up. But that's not the point. That's the shortest-term way to think about it. So winning and long-term winning are two different things. So if yeah. you can engage with the kids and and plan what you do and get the players back into schools and engage with your community, then the winning is not just next year. The winning is not just five years. It's 30, 40 years down the track. Mm. It's long-term investment. So I don't know if I'm answering. No, I think that's, I think that's really good. Or, or, yeah, I think that's really good. To yours, but there's just so much short-term shit in rugby league. And I'm sorry to swear. I don't swear much on this podcast, but I love it. I love this. <laughs> no, that's but, fine, mate. I, I, I bite my tongue a lot on this podcast, but uh, yeah, look, there's just so much short-term crap in rugby league where it's just about the bottom dollar and people keeping their jobs. It's all included. Winning next year, imagine five years ago if they were doing you know, investing in community five years ago and you know getting the right people in place and, and employing people. There's there's so many wrong things in rugby league. It's not just the dragons, and I think the dragons are very short-sighted too. But yeah. um. Anyway, I'm just going to stop there because I'm just going to keep rambling. Uh, next question is from Bo Brady. More about, I guess, team selection for the Dragons. He said, Karen centers and wings for the Dragons, Matt Fiernay, uh, Moses Suli, Michele Ravalawa, and Zach Lomax are all 24 years or younger. What is the plan or option to bring Max Fiernay into the side? Seems like he is blocked long term. Has there ever been a discussion about Suli or Ravat to the back row? Well, Bo, there hasn't. I wouldn't know if there's been an official discussion, but I would dare say that that both of those players are pretty integral to the Dragons' backline. So I can't say they're moving to the back row. I think it's it's just unfortunate. Um, sometimes as as a player, you've just kind of got to bide your time in reserve grade. If the coach isn't going to pick you, I thought he deserved a shot. On the wing, Max Fiernay, when there were some injuries at the back end of the year, I know he himself uh, ended up hurting his knee and had to uh, had to spend some time on the sideline. Um, but but you, just, you never know. Michaeli Ravalawa picked up such a significant hamstring injury that he wasn't even able to to take the field for or won't be able to take the field for any of the Fiji matches. He misses out on all the World Cup from a hamstring injury that happened probably twelve weeks ago. So who knows? Uh, but there could potentially be a serious injury there for Rava, or if he does recover, maybe he, he hurts himself again, or maybe some of the other players. Um, be, become injured and that opens the door for Max Fiernay. So uh, I think having depth in that kind of position is helpful um, and I know young players are so keen to, to play as we've seen in the likes of Tyrell Sloan and, and Jaden Sullivan but I, I can't see um, any any changes really even if there was a changing coach I, I would imagine that Moses Suli is going to is going to slot into the centres alongside Lomax and, and Michele Ravalawa is going to be on one flank with Matt Fiernay on the other but would really love to see Max Fiernay because I think he's a really talented player and we unfortunately haven't I don't think we've seen the best of him uh, in first grade so far um, in, in the few years he's been involved uh, with the St. George Illawarra Dragons. 
Uh, Kurt, our last question is from Brinky on Twitter, and he said, has anyone got to the bottom of the real reason for James Graham getting shown the door? And who will take over from Flanner? Well, I don't know the answers to either of those. Um, I, I have no idea who's going to take over from uh, from Shane Flanagan. And I, I don't know if we'll ever get to the bottom of why James Graham was was shown the door. The Dragons, I guess they'll kind of say that that, that money's uh, that was used for, for his role in, in the pathways is kind of being pushed more towards the, I guess, the sales department. Um, or I'm not really sure what they said. I think they said something along those lines when um, – when it when it when it when it all happened, James Graham kind of came out and spilled the beans on on Triple M probably less than twenty four hours after it happened. But it's all kind of gone a little bit quiet on the rest Western Front, Kurt. Yeah, I, I tried to do some digging on this today and and put some feelers out, and I, I, you know, the people are the same. They James Graham's an open book. To me, the first point that looking into this. When he was on Triple M, and these are all direct quotes from James Graham on Triple M, to talk about how much he was doing, and I, I, I am again speculating on how much money he'd be on, but he would have been like a, a freelancer, third party, or whatever, you know, having to put in. I'm sure he, I, you know, do you reckon he was actually on the books? I don't know, but mm. and here's a quote from him in Triple M, and, and I didn't realize how much he was actually doing. Um, my role was so varied. I was in it. I was an ambassador. In the pathways, mentoring some of those junior forwards, running some junior forward camps to get them up to speed. I had a role in preseason with the first grade team where I'd, I'd do contact with them and some talk around leadership and what it means to be a first grader. I'd help design what we would stand for. Then the game day experience stuff and having that relationship with key stakeholders and partners as someone to go and talk about the club in a positive light which has admittedly been difficult the last couple of years. He was doing about six different things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how can you just turn around one day to James Graham, who is a legend of the club, who was already a legend of Canterbury, and um, in a couple of hours he's about to get something called a golden cap from International Rugby League over there in St. Helens um, ahead of the, the big Tongan PNG game. Yeah. I, I, I'm flabbergasted that he doesn't know why they let him go for X amount of money where he was probably getting way underpaid mm. to do all these different things. This is – and look, I, I've, got a, I've got a little quote here that I've just scribbled down in the last couple of minutes because I, I knew we were getting to James Graham. But it's all right for when a club's flying and their premiers or their top four and they're making money and their memberships are up. I mean, there's players coming out of the woodwork from back yeah. in the day that say, "Oh yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be part of the club. Give me a polo shirt. I'll come to you. I'll come to your events and drink your piss and da da da." James Graham was doing it when they're on their their knees. I, I I can't think of anything except, and again, this is just my opinion, but a couple of weeks after he was let go, he went on Triple M and was very strong about saying Ben Hunt needs to move to dummy half. Sullivan needs to be the halfback next year. Yeah, that that is a direct another direct quote from Triple M and James Graham. So again, I'm only spe- but I can't think of anything else because he no. loves he loves the club. He's working his ass off in all these different roles. He's and don't you want James Graham at your club? Exactly, and he's going. I he, think he's going to go to the Dogs now, isn't he? Look what oh, he'll do there. And, and and I was just going through Twitter today. Sharks want him. Manly want him. All these clubs want him. He's also at the forefront now of of brain damage which he's, you know, and, and HIAs and concussion in rugby league. 
I mean, he's already accepted that maybe later in life he's going to be, you know, another, um, you know, another number or or a statistic in in this issue. But that's a positive the Dragons could spin and say, look at our man, look at James Graham. He's got these podcasts about concussion. He's working with, um, you know, you know who I'm talking about here, Dr. Chris Nowinski, who used to be yeah. a wrestler in the WWE. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he knows him personally. He's he's done events with him. These are all positive things that that the Dragons have just cut off, just complete, just cut him off, and now James Graham's out there. So, um, going back uh, to answer that question from the fan, the only thing I can think of is that James Graham's said something one day and said, you know, Ben Hunt cannot be your halfback. Mm. You know, something in in closed doors. I can't think of anything else because why would you put money into the sales department? I thought the sales department, unless you're hiring someone with James Graham's money and have an extra salesperson in there, I, I, I th- mm. it seems yeah. so bizarre. It I don't seems know. So bizarre. I don't know. Much like a lot of things happening at the Dragons, Kurt, there's, there's a lot of questions to be to be asked, and there's unfortunately not too many answers forthcoming. So it's um. Yeah, it's it's a bemusing one, and it's it's one that I, I feel um, is uh, is going to be the one that got away, especially when he starts helping helping a club like the Dogs kind of get up from the doldrums and really toughen up the Ford pack. It's the it's the irony, isn't it? The Dragons have probably one of the softest Ford packs in the competition, or at least the the ones that aren't aren't making meters through the middle. And I feel James Graham could have been really pivotal in in helping that. And, and as you mentioned, Kurt, the amount of jobs he was doing for the club shows what a what a club man he was. Um, but unfortunately, that's one that's got away. So Brinky, unfortunately, I don't know if we're but really, probably, it's probably as clear as mud now about all that stuff that's going on. But unfortunately, we don't have any answers, uh, much like a lot of you Dragons fans that are listening uh, to this uh, to this podcast. But that also uh, does wrap up our Fans Corner question for this week. As always, uh, fire your questions to us any day, any time of the week, redvpodcast at gmail.com. Before we get on out of here, we need to give you one more clue or a few more clues and then uh, announce the Who Am I uh, for this week on the Red V podcast. We spoke about this particular player, a hooker, born in Ingham and Queensland, played 102 games for the Steelers and 184 games um, in total. We forgot to to mention that um, he made his debut in 1989 in round one, playing in a 22 points to 18 loss to the St. George Dragons where he scored a double on debut and went on to uh, to score five tries. He followed it up with six tries in 1990 and then captained the Steelers uh, in the back end of 1991 and also captained them in the final series in 1992. After that, he uh, he left the, the Steelers at the end of 93, signed with the North Queensland Cowboys. He was part of their inaugural squad in round one of 1995, going down in a close affair um, to the Canterbury-Bankstown Bulldogs and also had spells at the Adelaide Rams and the Parramatta Eels. He was also named to the, to the Illawarra Steelers 25th anniversary team of, t- uh, team of Steel. He was named uh, as Locke. Um, despite playing mainly hooker in his career. So many great players that had to be fit in. And also, there's a shield that's been named after him that's played in Ingham, featuring under eight sides from around North Queensland. Kurt, I'll give the, you the honours. Who do you think, how, uh, who am I is this week on the Red V podcast? That would be Mr. Dean Schifoletti. Yes, very, very a good. A great player, a great player. Um, and I, I'll let you um, finish off the, the podcast, but also wanted to say... Tomorrow morning, good luck to Talatawa Moan, mm. who is playing for Tonga. Um, and I think he's the missing link for Tonga. He, this could be his World Cup, mate. And and that's the missing link for Tonga is, is a, a quality half. So good luck to him tomorrow morning as well. 
Yeah, plenty of Dragons fans will be cheering him on. He's a wonderful talent, and we do hope he has uh, the most of success. Hope you were able to get the Who Am I this week. Dean Schifoletti, a great player for the Steelers, a great servant, and uh, great to see him uh, still being represented with uh, the Dean Schifoletti shield that's being uh, played up there in Ingham in North Queensland, a lovely region of Australia as well. Hope you enjoyed the podcast here on episode 144. There was host to get through, whether it was the Dragons news and updates that, that had you intrigued or whether it was a part two chat with Luke Felscher. I do hope you were able to get something out of the podcast and thank you so much Dragons fans for continuing to support it uh, even throughout the offseason. Big thanks to my co-host Curtis Wood. It's been a pleasure to talk Dragons footy over the last hour and a half. We'll be back next Tuesday for a brand new episode, hopefully a little bit less negative Dragons news and maybe a bit more positive news. But on behalf of Curtis Wood, I've been Jack Clifton. We'll see you next week for episode 145 of the Red V Podcast. Let's go those mighty Dragons. Sports Social Podcast Network.